The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Let's get into the word together. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you grab them and open them up to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5 is where we're going to spend our time. Hey, I know that it's the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, we're f- going to finish our Ephesians series. So it's this week and next week, and then we are done. We're done with the book of Ephesians. I'll do a couple of Christmas messages for the second two Sundays uh, in Advent. But for today, we're going to finish up Ephesians 5 and move into Ephesians 6. Uh, In those hardback black Bibles, that's on page 978. If you're online with us, click the Bible tab. Let's go for this. Ephesians 5. As you're turning to Ephesians 5, anybody um, in here like me take piano lessons as a kid? Anybody take piano lessons? Okay. Uh, Maybe the question should be anybody's mom make them take piano lessons like me? Because that was my dig, okay? Mama made me. Uh, so I'll just let you know, for six years, I took piano lessons. Uh, my piano teacher was Mrs. Litton. Mrs. Litton, she was an older woman a couple blocks away uh, from me. And listen, I did all right. I did okay uh, with piano. Um, but the problem for, for me was that I hated practicing. Anybody else feel this way as a kid? Like you wanted to play the, the music, but you didn't want to practice? Well, that was what happened to me. And so So what would very often occur is that I would wait all week until like Tuesday, piano day, and I would wake up on Tuesday. And you know, like the moment your head pops off the pillow and you know something's wrong, like on Tuesday, it would be like your head would pop off the pillow and be like, oh no, it's piano day, it's Tuesday, I got to go see Mrs. Litton, I haven't practiced at all. Right, that would happen very often. And then I would go down to the piano and try to cram as much practice as I could in the hours leading up to uh, my piano lesson, which worked just about as well as like flossing your teeth for the first time in like six months, the day that you're going to the dentist. Anybody do this, right? As if they're not gonna know when you walk in there with bloody swollen gums, right? Oh yeah, I floss all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can see the blood in your mouth. It's just a disgusting, bloody mess. That's how my piano playing sounded on those days, okay? But here's the truth. In order to play the piano, like in order to get good enough to actually play music and play songs, I actually needed to submit to practicing the way that Mrs. Litton instructed me to. I had to, okay? And, and I bring all that up this morning because in our text today, we are going to see three very common relationships in our lives. Um, and these three relationships, uh, they're kind of like practice rooms. It's like sitting down at the piano and practicing. It's like, maybe, maybe to use a sports metaphor, it's like going outside and, and practicing, like throwing, throwing the ball around or kicking the ball around or going for a run. It's practice. These three relationships are like practice rooms where God deepens us in our relationship with him. These relationships are practices. They're, they're means by which God grows us. So, um, so Ephesians 5, this sermon actually begins in the last verse we read last week, which was verse 21. So look real quick with me at verse 21, Ephesians 5, 21. This is where Paul has said that, that you, will, you can be filled by the Holy Spirit, and he gives us multiple ways to be filled by the Holy Spirit. But the last one is in verse 21, where he says, be filled by the Holy Spirit by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's where we stopped last week. And we said that this is one of those ways that Paul gives for Christians to position themselves where they might be filled with the spirit 
of God. One of the ways, one of the places that God fills us with his spirit and deepens us in our relationships with him is as we submit to one another out of reverence for God. So I'm calling today's sermon Submitted. Today we're talking about submission in relationships as a way of showing reverence to God. And we're going to see three kind of categories of relationships where we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, the first one is wives and husbands, so the marriage relationship. The second one is children and parents, so the family kind of parental relationship. And then finally, servants and masters, which we'll talk about, but that's more like, uh, it could be better interpreted as employees and employers, so our work environments. And all three of these relationships, I think, are practice rooms. They're training grounds that God uses to deepen us. There he fills us with his spirit and takes us deeper in relationship with him. So each one of those pairings of relationships, I'm going to give one word for each one. So there's six words in this sermon that you can need to write down if you're taking notes. One word for each of these three relationships. We have a lot of text to cover. We're going all the way to 6, 9, chapter 6, verse 9. So here we go. Buckle up. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22 with wives. Here we go. Wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So there it is. That's... That's the passage, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. We, we dedicated some children this morning in the first service. Nobody picked that as a life verse for their daughter. I'm just, I mean, this is, it's, it's not controversial at all, right? Like, ladies, I'm sure you love this verse. This is like your favorite verse. You've got this verse memorized. Anybody got this one tattooed on their wrist or ankle or something, right? Like, this is your, this is your favorite verse. No, it's not? Strange, Okay. Um, this, is a, this is a really important passage. Um, whether you're married or not. Now, let me say this. If you're single, um, statistically, chances are at some point you will be married. Okay? And even if you are not, Paul himself was not married. He was a single man, and yet he talks about this because this is an illustration of how we submit to one another. It's just one piece of this larger section of mutual submission. So we're going to do some work on this little bit about wives first. Now, I imagine that some of you, maybe some of you here this morning, you've already, as I read that, kind of lawyered up in your mind. Like I would imagine as I say, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife. I imagine some of you are putting on your boxing gloves in that moment because those passages... Honestly, this passage specifically is one that has been misused. It's been twisted. It's been pulled out of context and abused in many historical settings. But I just want to ask you to give me the benefit of the doubt. Hold off punching me until later, all right? If you want to punch later, send me an email, and that's fine if you disagree with me. But, but I would like to work through this text, and I think you'll see the purpose that Paul is putting here on this page. I'm going to ask you to just hold off for just a minute and give me the benefit of the doubt. Wives, here's the word that I'm going to give to you this morning. Wives are to respect. The word for wives that I'd like to bring this morning is respect. 
I'm not going to use the word submit. I'm going to use the word respect because as we just read in verse 21, each party is actually called to submit. This whole passage is underneath the umbrella heading, as it were, of mutual submission. That's how we show reverence to Christ is we submit to one another. But wives, the way that you submit to your husbands is by showing him respect. That's how you submit is by respecting him. Now, let me point out a few things in this verse that will work, these verses that we'll work through, okay? The first thing is that note that verses 22 and through 24 come after 21. Just, you need to know the order there, okay? It's after mutual submission is commanded to all Christians that then the wives are commanded to submit to their husbands, all right? That's the first thing you need to know. It's one outworking of the mutual submission passage. Second, it says, wives, submit to your own husband, okay? This does not mean, this text does not mean women submit to men, okay? This is one of the abuses of this passage, that, that, that women have submitted to men in the workplace or in the church or uh, in the home. or No, that's not what this is saying at all. Biblically, biblically, men and women are equal. Biblically, they're equal. They are equal. We will see that there are some different roles and responsibilities that come in these relationships, but wives are not inferior to their husbands in this passage. Okay, that's, 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 that superiority kind of inferiority dichotomy is where a lot of abuse to this idea comes. But I'm just telling you, that is bogus. That's not what this is talking about. The illustration that came to mind is this. Um, I know that we have and have had some uh, police officers, different levels of police officers as members of our church over the last seven years, okay? And, um, and as members of Fathom, as members of this church, um, whether, regardless of their rank and position in the police force, they submit to me as their pastor, as, as part of the team who are spiritually kind of positioned in authority over them. Okay, but, but as soon as we leave this building and they, they put on their uniform and their badge and we get out into the community or out into the streets, okay, at that point, they become the authority over me. Right? I am to submit to them as the legal and policing authority. So the question is then, who is superior to who? Who's the superior one in that relationship? Is it the police officer or is it the pastor? And the answer is neither. <laughs> it's not about superiority, okay? It's just in the different roles that we have, there are times where, where they will submit to me and there are other times where I will submit to them. It's a mutual submission. And so too, I think that illustration is helpful because wives, you're not inferior to husbands. Wives are not inferior to their husbands, but they are expected to respect his God-given leadership in the home. Now, what does that look like? Well, we're going to get into that in just a moment, but, but it's not an inferiority thing here. So that's the second thing. The third thing that the text says is that wives are to submit to their own husbands as unto the Lord. It says, as unto the Lord. Now, that does not mean in the place of the Lord. Like, wives, you're not to submit to your husbands in place of 
God, in place of the Lord. What that means actually is that as you submit to your husband, you are actually submitting to God. Part of your submission to God is submitting to the authority that he places over you, which also means, listen, if your husband was asking you to do something that would make you disobey the Lord, you don't do it. The hierarchy is that your submission to God is first, and one of the ways you submit to him is by submitting to your husband. And if he tries to usurp that authority or distort that authority, you don't follow his authority. Or, listen, if his leadership, if a husband's leadership ever puts you or your family members in in some sort of physical harm's way, man, you do not, you get out of there. This is, again, where this thing is abused. You do not submit to abusive authority. You get out, you come talk to us, we will help you, we'll find counsel, we'll, we'll do all the things that we need to do to make that safe. But this is not where abuse of authority is allowed. Number four. The text says that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, here's where this one gets tricky. That word is, is really important because the husband is the head. Now, that means that husbands, you're the head. You can be a bad head or you can be a good head, but you're the head. That, 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 that means that the husband's authority is positional, not circumstantial. It's a position. It's not something that you get or you, you know, develop out or, or build on or become at some point. Like the husband is the head. He is the head. And a lot of times women will come maybe home from a conference or from like a Bible study or something and they'll say, well, I heard about headship. I've heard about like my husband should be leading me spiritually, but, but my husband's not a spiritual leader. Like my husband's not exercising his duties as the spiritual head of this household, does that mean I still have to follow him? Does that mean I still have to submit to him? What does that mean about how I should relate to him? And again, barring abuse and barring something that he's doing that would cause you to disobey God, I just want to say that verse doesn't say submit to your husband when he is sufficiently the spiritual leader that you want him to be in your eyes. It doesn't say that. So, so wives, here's what I would encourage you with. If your husband is not a spiritual leader, you respecting him in this way can help call him up into a higher call of leadership. You are still called to submit. Now, <laughs> this is real popular stuff, just so you know. This is real popular stuff. I'm gonna, this is what we're gonna tweet Right, we're going to put all these sound clips on the internet just because people love this stuff. Ladies, let me just encourage you. Please don't reject this idea just because you've seen it warped. This has been warped so many times. There's lots of things in the Bible that, take, that people pull out of context and twist and warp and abuse. But I would just say, please don't, don't take an abuse of this idea or like some sort of caricature around this idea of mutual submission as a reason why this then no longer applies. Because it's in the text. It's in our holy scriptures. And I think it does apply. So, so Matt Chandler, pastor and author, he says this about this idea. He says, a husband sacrificially loving his wife and a wife submitted to her godly husband, creates a relationship that the world would never look at and say, how disgusting and archaic. Like when this is done right, 
it is not, it does not have the stench of death, but the stench of life. So husbands, real quick, to every husband in here, you are called by God to be the head of your family. And wives, you are called to submit to that. And it doesn't, ma- it doesn't mean that husbands make all the big decisions, right? It's, uh, it doesn't mean that the husband is the boss of the house or something. It just means that as a husband tries to lead his family, wives, you do your best to help him and support him and follow him and encourage him and, and be the partner that he needs. You, you respect him. Now, I could go on and on and on, on of, of why. We could have just done a wives sermon. We're not, okay? We're going to move on to the husbands now. So husbands, if you had just read those first three verses, you might feel, feel pretty good about yourselves right now. <laughs> that would be a, a bold mistake. It would be a bold mistake. Paul will not allow that. In fact, to the ladies' three verses, he's going to give you a whomping of a paragraph. So here we go. Verse 25. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay. Now there's a lot there. There's a little bit of mixed metaphor and illustration. Sometimes are we talking about the church? Sometimes are we talking about marriage? They're kind of interchangeable in this dialogue. And we could, again, go deep into that. For the, for the purposes today, I want to kind of simple, make this a little bit simpler for husbands, okay? So husbands, here's your word for today. Husbands serve. Husbands serve. Now, it says husbands love your wives, and so I could put love as our word, guys, except for the fact that love is just so overused and under-understood. It's just, that word packs way more than we need to today, but let me just tell you, husbands serve. That's the posture, the position, the responsibility of headship in the family as it's defined here, that you are the chief servant in your home. You serve, okay? You submit to your wife. It's mutual submission. Remember verse 21. We submit to one another. Wives do that by showing respect to their husbands. Husbands, you submit to your wife by serving her. So now let me work through this. Same sort of thing as we did with wives. There's a few things to note here. First, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, everybody loves this passage because they're like, oh, that means you're going to lay down your life for your wife, like step in front of a bullet or something like that, or a train and like take yourself out before she gets taken out. Or that, that's, that's kind of like the manly version of this. And, and listen, yes, okay? Like if someone pulls a gun on your wife, get in front of the gun, all right? 
The girl goes home and the man goes down. That's how we pray, we, we play, okay? So that's how it, that, yes, okay? But I don't think that's what God's talking about in this little passage. I don't think that's what Paul is intending to communicate to us. See, it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loved his people even when they didn't love him. That's, it's not, it's not necessarily that you're just going to lay your life down for her. Christ loved people who didn't love him. Christ showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, he went to the cross and died for us. It was when we were at our worst that Christ loved us. So husbands, love your wives even when they aren't loving you back. I think this means you love like Christ loved the church. That means you love when they reject you. You love when they betray you. You love when they lie to you. You love when they hold, withhold from you. You love when they treat you like we treated Jesus. This means, men, that you don't get to quote Ephesians 5 at your wife. You know that? You don't get to pull out Ephesians 5 card and be like, ha, submit, submit to me. I, listen, that will not go well. Okay, I'm 15 years into marriage, and I knew that in 15 seconds, all right? The, only, the best you can do is strategically leave your Bible open somewhere in your house on Ephesians 5 and just hope that the Spirit draws her to it, okay? It's passive-aggressive. That's the best I'm going to do, okay? You don't get to pull this out and pull out the card and say, Ephesians 5, submit to me. Submit to me, woman. That's not, that's not how we play. It's not how we play. Listen, submit, wives, submit to your own husbands. That's, that's for her to obey. It's not yours to demand. That, 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 that instruction is for wives to obey, not for husbands to demand. And now, guys, listen, if she's not respecting you, you're still called to love her like Christ loved the church. You do all you can to try to be the kind of leader that it would be a joy to submit to. That's the call. Wives, you, you, you respect your husband even if he's not fulfilling the duties of headship the way that he ought to. And husbands, you love your wife like Christ loved the church even when she's not playing by the same rules. You play your role, you serve your wife, and you trust God with her role. Trust God. It's just a little bit heavier than just like, you know, walk on the outside of the sidewalk just in case a car jumps the curb and you get hit first, okay? But you should do that. Second, the text says that, that like Christ, you are to wash your wife in water with the word. And that's weird. That's a weird phrase. I mean, it just it sounds strange to me, strange language to our ears. But here's what that means. I think this is what this means. What that means is, is that as you serve your wife, husbands, you do so by taking the lead spiritually in your home. You take the lead spiritually. Now, that does not mean that you necessarily have to know more Bible or theology than your wife does. Because frankly, I know some of y'all, that's not going to happen. It ain't going to happen. That's okay, okay? 
Men, you are called to serve as the spiritual leader in your home. I'll just give you a couple of freebie ways because guys, I'm trying to simplify this, make this easy for us, okay? Because we need it, you need it, okay? Trust me. A couple of ways. First, you can serve as the spiritual head of your house by applying the things that you're learning from church. Like you can, you can, you can come on a Sunday and you can listen to me talk and you can jot one or two things that come to that strike you or something. Just jot those things down that I say on a Sunday that strike you. And then here's the key. Bring them up on Wednesday. Like on Wednesday, sit down to dinner with your wife and bring, hey, what did you think about when pastor said this? on Sunday. I've been thinking about that this week. And all of a sudden, you are spiritually leading that conversation. You don't even have to come up with the stuff. Like, I'm giving you the stuff right now. You should be writing things down. You're not writing things down. You should be writing things down. You you can bring up on Wednesday. And before you know it, you're leading. Seriously, another, another, it's just leading conversation. Another way, husbands, that you can be the spiritual lead uh, and wash your wife with the word is to pray for her. It's to pray for her. And you don't have to be like some sort of spiritual prayer ninja to do this. Like you don't have to, you don't have to like have some sort of immaculate, wonderful wording in your prayer. It's not about what you pray. It's about that you pray. So here's, the, here's what I do. I ask Marcy sometimes, hey, um, how can I pray for you? And now guys, here's the hard part. You have to pay attention to what she says, right? So, so I mean, that sounds like something we shouldn't have to say, but we have to say. So if she says, oh, well, I'm just having a hard time with this friend and I'm just really struggling with that. Then, so, so, so you listen. Okay, now here's what you do. You grab her hand and you go, let's pray right now. And you go, dear God. And then you say whatever she said. Marcy's really struggling with this friend right now. I pray you help her with that. In Jesus' name, amen. And you're gonna open your eyes and she's gonna have tears because you are spiritually leading in that moment. I'm saying, now, I'm, I'm making some light of this, but I'm just saying, guys, you don't need to be nervous about this kind of stuff. You can do this. You can nail this thing by being the spiritual leader. You don't have to go to seminary to be the spiritual head of your home. You don't have to know Hebrew and Greek. You don't have to exegete the text. You just need to apply God's word and pray for your family. And you can lead. You can do this. Okay, third thing. Verse 28 is an interesting verse. Verse 28 says that, that husbands should love their wives like they love their own bodies. Right, that's weird. That's a little bit strange as well. Um, but then I thought about it this week and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know uh, if you've ever noticed this, but wh- I, what is it about guys that, that, that guys just seem to love their bodies no matter what they look like? I mean, it's just like guys, I mean, I, I catch myself doing this all the time. I'll catch myself in the mirror, like I'll see myself in the mirror and I'll be like, like, it doesn't matter how flabby I'm getting or like hairy or gray or wrinkled or whatever, but I'll catch myself and I'll just be like, mm, oh yeah, I still got it, right? <laughs> like it just, I mean, it's, it's just kind of weird. And listen, I don't look as good with a shirt off as I did 20 years ago and I think I've still got it, okay? I... I think that's kind of what he's talking about here. I think that's kind of what he's talking about, okay? Let let me tell you what this means. Men, you are to serve your wife like you serve yourself. Let me make this even more clear, okay? Before you get married, guys and gals, you are an expert in meeting your own needs. 
When it says you love your bodies, you love to feed your flesh, I think this is what he's talking about. Like, before you get married, you are an expert in meeting your own needs. You're an expert at loving yourself. You're an expert. I mean, you just eat what you want to eat, and you listen to what you want to listen to, and you watch on TV what you want to watch on TV, and you do what you want to do. You're an expert in taking care of you, but once you get married, all that should change. Guys, it, it should change. Being the head of your marriage doesn't mean you get your way. It means you serve. It means that in decisions, I give her needs and, my, uh, and her preferences more weight than my own. Guys, if I'm serving Marcy like Christ served the church, that means that in 90% of the places that we disagree, we're going to end up doing what she wants. And sometimes that means that we go where she wants to go for dinner. And sometimes that means that I make a decision about where we're going to dinner because she doesn't want to make a decision about where we're going to dinner. But I serve her. I defer to her needs. Because most decisions, now hear me, in marriage, most decisions are not spiritual leadership decisions. They're just preferences. Where should we go on vacation? How uh, How should we decorate the the living room. Who's going to go to the bank? Most of those are preferential decisions. They're not spiritual leadership decisions. And hear me, my preferences should always be subservient to her preferences. Now, it's great when they line up, but they don't always. And in that moment, husbands serve their wives by taking the second seat. So this... There's a lot of verses there. We could go on and on. I, and again, I could preach a whole sermon just on this. Actually, I could split that into two sections and talk about how the church fits into this versus husbands. But I, I just feel like this is something that's really practical and, and important for our marriages. Husbands, you serve your wives. Lo- uh, wives, you respect your husbands. So that's the marriage thing. There's two other practice rooms, practice relationships that, God, or that Paul brings up here. So um, I'd like to move on from marriage to the child-parent relationship. So here's his next example. It starts in chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, The second practice facility or practice field where God is filling and deepening us in Christ is the child-to-parent relationship. Now, before we get into the words for these two uh, groups, this one's tricky because it says, children, obey your parents. Okay, children, obey your parents. And the reality is, all of us are children. We are all children. So the question is, at what point does a children have to... to obey, and when do they get to stop obeying? Like, when does one end being a children? That's the question. And frankly, it's more complex because of where we live and our time and our culture, because we are in one of the very few cultures in the history of the world that doesn't have a clear demarcation of one's transition from childhood into adulthood. Almost every other culture in the world has a marked time where you are no longer a boy, you are a man. You are no longer a girl, you are now a woman. We don't have that. And so it's left open for interpretation, okay? So in our culture, 
When do you become an adult? When are you no longer a child? It depends on who you ask. If you ask Tylenol, you're an adult when you're 12. Right? If 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 you ask the DMV, it's when you're 16. If you ask the Army, it's when you're 18. If you ask Coors, it's when you're 21. Okay, if you ask Delta, it's when you're two. You're two, you have to pay for that whole seat. You're essentially an adult at that point, okay? So how are we going to define this? Children, obey your parents. How do we define children? Well, I'm gonna just say this gently, okay? If your parents still pay your bills, okay? Like like if they're paying insurance or cell phone or utilities or rent, right? Okay, If, if, if they're paying your bills, you are still children, Okay? Now, don't be like, oh, we've got a family plan. Like, I don't need to know your nuances, okay? Save that for the emails later. Uh, I don't need to know that. Like, that may not be a complete rule of thumb, but let's just say, listen, if you're still, if you cannot exist independent financially from your parents, I think you're still at some level to obey them. Children, obey your parents. Now, to all the children who are left in this room, here's your word. Honor. Children honor your parents. This is how you obey your parents in the Lord. You honor them. So that whole children obey your parents um, in the Lord. It's the same sort of language that it's husband or wives submit to your husband, your own husband uh, in the Lord. This means that, that when we're children, our parents are like representative authorities of God in our lives. So let me work this out, okay? In a way, when you are a child, your parents stand in for God for a time. They stand in God's place in your life for a time. We first learn to obey and submit to God by obeying and submitting to our parents. It's a season of headship in that relationship. So that means for those of you who are living at home, so if you're children or youth or uh, maybe even some of you college students, okay, if you kind of find yourself in that season, here's, the, here's the, 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 the statement. How you submit to the authority of your parents is how you submit to God. Just let that set for a second. How you submit to your parents is how you submit to God. The child-to-parent relationship is the practice field that teaches children to submit to God. So younger people, listen, I know that's tough to believe at times, but you submitting to your parents is how you submit to God. And your parents, barring some, some very unique examples, love you more than anybody else and know you better than anybody else. And it's almost impossible to believe that when you're a child. But they do. Parents love you more and know you better than almost anybody else. The only reason why I think that that's true, even though I didn't believe that as a kid, is because I know this is kind of hard to believe, but I wasn't always so well put together. Like when I was a, when I was a child, when I was a children, I was kind of a rebel, okay? I just had a bit of a rebellious streak in me. And I remember clearly one time my dad sarcastically, as a teenager, he said to me, Chris, one day I hope you have a son just like you. 
just said that to my face. And I, at 15, I was like, you're darn right. You're darn right. I hope so too. He'd be awesome, right? Because that's what I thought. Because that's what I thought about me. And I can remember when my dad told me those things, I can remember how my dad looked to me. And it wasn't good, y'all. Like he looked at, I looked at my dad. I was like, can I really trust this guy? Because hear me, my dad rode a motorcycle. Okay, he rode a motorcycle. Uh, but don't think like cool motorcycle. Like, oh man, your dad must be real edgy, okay? Um, my dad rode a Honda Goldwing. This is a picture of a Honda Goldwing. So that's no chopper, Okay. Right, the, like the, the Honda Goldwing, those cases on the side, it's the equivalent of like a cell phone holster on your belt, right? That's like that equivalent in motorcycle terms. And my dad would ride this thing. And now picture with me here, I'm going to describe to you what my dad would wear when he rode his Honda Goldwing in the, in the 1990s, okay? My dad would ride it with a full-faced helmet, okay? Full-faced shielded helmet, even though he drove under the speed limit on that thing, okay? He would wear a ratty old t-shirt, Okay? And then he would wear shorts, riding a motorcycle. He would ride shorts, but they weren't just shorts. They were like really, really, really short shorts. Like a lot of man thigh going on on the Goldwing, okay? Then he would, wear, he would wear white socks up to his calves, white New Balance sneakers with green grass stains on them because he'd just gotten done mowing the lawn. Oh, and he would also, on his motorcycle, he would put on his tan gardening leather gloves and he would ride the motorcycle with gardening gloves on, all right? <laughs> and, and I'm going, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at that man. And I'm going, I don't know, I can trust his advice. <laughs> I, don't, I do not know I could trust a guy who would choose to dress like that. Meanwhile, I had dreadlocks down to my shoulders that the tips were dipped in bleach so they would be bleached. And then I also was wearing jeans that were so baggy and sagging that you could see my entire posterior area, okay? <laughs> and I will not be showing those photos, okay? <laughs> Children, it's... The command is obey your parents. The commandment isn't understand your parents. It's obey your parents. It's not understand your parents. And frankly, um, you may not understand what they're saying. You may not understand where they're coming from. You may not understand their reasoning or their rationale behind some things. And unless, hear me, unless what they are doing is, uh, what they are asking you to obey is something that would cause you to be disobedient to God, just like wives to husbands. Unless that's the case, you're called to obey them. You may not get them, but you're called to obey them. Just like, listen, they aren't getting you at that point. They don't get you, you don't get them, but you are called to obey your parents. Now, here's the question that I get a lot at our church. Uh, what about when you're older? Okay, what about when you've moved out of the children? as we defined it, stage. Do you still have to obey your parents? Well, this is why I use the word honor. This is why I chose the word honor for children. Because as a child, when you are a child, a ch children, as we defined it, you honor your parents by obeying them. But as you get older, the way that you honor your parents changes. You still honor them, but it's, you honor them in a different 
way. And this is where it helps to really understand that parents are kind of a stand-in for God while the children are young. They're like the training wheels to obeying God for a child. So the point is is for children to obey God, not to obey their parents, to obey God, so that by the time you leave the house, you're no longer a children in that same dependent way. You are supposed to have shifted the authority from your parents to God. That's what's supposed to happen, which means that when you are older, the way that you honor your parents is by being the man or woman that God designed you to be and obeying him. By obeying God, you honor the institution of parenting. And that may mean that you don't always obey your parents once you're an adult. You're called to obey God now. That make sense? Is that... Help? Okay. Okay, then verse four, we see the parent side of things here. Verse four, six, four. Fathers, okay, so now just pause real quick. Um, Anytime instructions are given to parents, it's always to fathers in the Bible. And I know that we've reversed that culturally where like mothers do most of the parenting, but almost all the biblical instructions to parents starts with dads. Fathers, you gotta be involved with your kids. You need to parent, you need to lead in this way. So fathers, but I would add in this as well, mothers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So my word for parents is is train. Parents, you're, you're to train your children. The text says bring them up, which could also be translated train them up. Train them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What that means is that parents, as you train your children, what you are primarily focused on is the development of their character. Character development trumps behavior modification. You are focusing on developing children who want to submit to God. That's a character trait, not children who just want to obey the rules. That's behavior modification. So listen, you're not only concerned about controlling their behavior with rules. You are. You set up rules. You do that correctly. But you're not only concerned about controlling behavior with rules. You are more concerned about training their character with relationship. Now hear me. Trying to control behavior with rules is really hard. It's really hard to try and control your children and their behavior with rules. But training your children in character is way harder than just trying to control them with rules. And it takes a lot more time. It takes a lot more intentional time. It takes a relationship with your children. And here's how I'd play it out like this, okay? Listen, rules without relationships always leads to rebellion. And I've only got 10 years of youth ministry experience to back that statement up. I've walked with students. Rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. We all knew that guy in college, that gal in college, right? Rules, rules, rules. No relationship with their parents. They go up to see you and freak out, lose their minds, right? Rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. So families, parents, you've got to take time to develop a relationship with your kids. You do. And let me tell you, honestly, I think today's parents, most or many parents, are just too busy. 
too busy to train their kids in the instruction of the Lord. Because you've got your kids signed up for too many things. You got your kids signed up for too many things. Marcy and I have to keep doing this like check on this with ourselves. And we've only got one, Harper, and she's seven, but like we have to keep a check on this because because we've got it, we've got church and we've got school and we've got soccer and we've got dance and swimming and skiing, and now she wants to do gymnastics, all right? And it's like, I want to play with my friends and all of if we're not careful, even our one seven-year-old daughter, like it's like we can get to the point where we're like, uh-oh, we got too much going on. We are involved in too much. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves with too much to do and not enough time to train her in what's really important. So listen, I'm not against sports, all right? But sometimes people will push back against this idea with this statement where they'll say, but sports builds character. These activities, these sports, they build character. And I'm just going to call bull on that. I'm calling that bull because have you ever like looked at an NFL team's locker room and thought, ah, men of godly character. (laughs) They've been doing sports their whole lives. They've made it to the elite level. And I'm telling you, that is not what I think of when I think of a bunch of dudes in a locker room. Character building. No, (laughs) they need character in those locker rooms and God bless it when it happens. All right. But, but sports don't build character. Parents build character. Parents build character. Now, some good parents will invest in some activities to help develop that character in their kids. But listen, that's the goal. Character development is is the goal. Scholarship is not the goal. Success on the sports field is not the goal. Training your children to love and obey God is the goal. So marriage, I know that some are not married, and so that's one. Family, I know some don't have kids, and that's the next one. But then the third one is one that I think we all can relate to. Because Paul moves to the workplace and work relationships. So let's look at verse five. We're almost done, y'all. Verse five. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now, some of you might not be reading ESV and you might see that first word and I said bond servants and yours says slaves. Slaves obey your Masters, But most modern English translations have moved to bond servants because I think it's a better translation of that word because, okay, uh, what Paul is talking about here is in no way condoning what we in the Western world and modern society think of when we think slavery. Like when we talk about chattel slavery practices of this country a couple centuries ago where we were stealing people from Africa and bringing them here to work plantations, that's not what Paul is talking about here. In fact, Paul makes it very clear in other places of the scriptures the wickedness and sinfulness of slavery. Okay, forced slavery is not what he's talking about. What Paul is actually referring to is something that we don't necessarily have a one-to-one analogy for in our culture, but it's closest to, to indentured servitude. That, that a bond servant would bond themselves to a master as a way to pay off debts. It was for a agreed upon amount of time. It was not forced. It was not based around race and it did not last for a lifetime. So it's, it's much more uh, applicable to read this as employee to employer. This is a work relationship. So employees, it says, obey your employers and obey your boss. And then verse six, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, 
but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Okay, so those of you who are an employee, okay, if you have an employer, if you work for a living, you work for someone, well, here is your word. Employees, work. Work. I mean, it sounds silly to have to say that, but culturally, we have to say that. If you have a job, work. Work hard. Don't cut corners. Don't slack off. Work when no one is watching you. Don't work just for the accolades and the praise of your boss, okay? But it says work as unto the Lord. Ultimately, you're not working for your boss. You're working for God in whatever vocation you happen to be endeavoring in. Submitting to your boss is how you show submission to Christ. And that's, that's how it's supposed to work. And listen, it's not supposed to be dependent, again, on how nice your boss is or how much you like your boss or even if he or she always sees it the same way and rewards you fairly. Okay, it's just the same as the parent to child. It's just the same, like even when you don't get it, even when it's not reciprocated fully, your job is to submit. Now listen, if, if there's an abusive thing going on, if it's an unfair practice, here's, here's the best part about living in our society. You can quit. If your job sucks, quit. That's as spiritual as I can get around that, okay? Just quit. But if you're employed, you submit. You mutually submit. You obey your earthly master, your employer. So uh, I was thinking about this. I know some of you are in jobs where you don't like it and, and you, you think your boss is a jerk or she's unfair or you know, these, all these things. And, and listen, they might be. All right, and I just told you you should quit. Okay, so, so they, they might be, okay? Um, and the text says that God will repay each one. So, so God's gonna take care of that. That's not your job. That's first. Second, I just wanna coach you that, that it's really hard to know what the pressure level and what's on the plate of those above you in any occupation. It's just, it's just really hard to know. Um, it's, I, think it's, I think it's true across the board, but I'll just give you my example, okay? Uh, I was a youth pastor for 10 years before we planted this church. And listen, uh, I was the best lead pastor I knew when I was a youth pastor. Like, y'all went to church with me back then, right? Like, I was great at doing things that people above me were supposed to be doing. I, I thought I was the best. I was like, why don't these guys just do it this way? I can see it. Why can't they see it? And then listen, I planted this church, okay? And like had the snot beat out of me a bit, right? It only takes a few years for you to just kind of get slapped around once you've kind of moved up the, the ladder a little bit. And then I thought to myself this week, man, I need to apologize to some of my old bosses for my attitude. And I don't think that's just in like ministry context. I think that's across the board, it's so easy to look up the food chain at any employment place and just think, I, I could do better than that. And you, listen, you might be able to. That might be true. And a little bit of humility will go a long way in this one. You need to obey your bosses. You work. You work for your earthly boss because you're actually working for your heavenly boss. 
Okay, he doesn't just leave it there though. Okay, bosses, there's a word for you here as well. So if you are an employer, if you oversee anybody, if you lead a team, this is for you. Verse nine, this is our last verse, guys. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So employers, bosses, leaders, your word is humble. Humble. For those of you who have power over others, Paul says, in God's eyes, you're the same. He doesn't show partiality. In God's eyes, like boss, employee, that don't matter. He's the Lord over both. So you, you better be humble. You better lead with humility, the way that Jesus practiced humility when he came to live and lead. So bosses, here, you lift up and you empower your people. You never manipulate or try to control them. Okay, you leverage your leadership the way that Jesus did his. He humbly gave away his power to serve others. And that's the call for leadership for bosses. So listen, wherever you're the leader, okay? I don't care if you, you, it's a Fortune 500 company and you're the CEO, or listen, maybe you're the leader of the carpool at your kid's school. If you, listen, if you can look around the room in any setting and you realize that you carry the most authoritative weight in that room, you're who Paul is talking to in this position. It could be a school project and you're the lead on that project. This is the word for you, be humble. Be humble. Do the people who are on your team, who work under you, have a better understanding of Jesus Christ, the, sh- the chief shepherd, by the way that you are leading and shepherding that group? Regardless of what they believe, they don't, they don't have to believe the things that you believe about Jesus, but do the people who you lead have a better picture of the Jesus you claim to follow because of your leadership? That can transcend what they believe. So, so where are you submitted, you guys? This is one of those insanely practical sections of scripture, right, where there's not like a lot of application that I need to build out and help you with. Like, where are you submitted? In what relationships has God ordained divinely there be mutual submission in your life? And maybe, where do you need to ratchet some of those things up? Right, these are the practice rooms. These are the fields, the drills that God runs us through so that he might deepen us, might grow us, might fill us. So maybe you need to ratchet up your submission in some of these areas. Maybe it's in your marriage. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives. You're both called to submit to one another as out of reverence for Christ. It might be something you need to grow in. Maybe it's in your family, children to parents, goodness. Maybe you've stopped honoring them. Even if you're not called to obey them anymore, maybe you still need to show honor to them. And you primarily do that by obeying God. Parents to children, maybe... Maybe you're just really focused on their career or their ability or, or them just giving you some peace and quiet and obeying your rules and you're not building a relationship to develop character. Or goodness, in your work, in your workplace, maybe you need to ratchet up your submission there. Maybe you've been grumbling a bit against your boss. Maybe you've been taking advantage of some people. Maybe you've been cutting corners. This is Paul's instruction for us. Submit to one another. 
submit to one another. This is the practice of how we submit to God. And he will not call us to practice anything that he will not empower us by his Holy Spirit to accomplish. So where are you submitted? Let's pray together. And Father, we bless you today. It's always good to come to a section that feels a little bit more practical. It's all practical, Lord, but, but when, we, when we can just see black and white the instruction for us, Lord, I pray that, that we would see that, we'd have eyes to see that today. And this is simple, but it's not easy. This mutual submission, this practice is, is simple. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, kids to parents, parents to kids, bosses and employees and the like. It's simple, but, but gosh, it's hard. So spirit, empower us for this. Grow us in this. Deepen our relationships in submission to one another that we might be filled by your spirit and deepened in you. We trust you with this, God. We love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and the power of the spirit. Amen.